So in, in Romans 3, <laughs> 10 to 19, we're all equal. Either in guilt, meaning we ha- we're outside of Christ's position, we haven't received him, right? Or we're guilt-free. We're guilt and that's what it means to be justified, by the way. Cleared of all guilt and condemnation in the courtroom of God's justice because Christ, in that sense, if you want to give like a courtroom scene, is our retaining lawyer. But who's on the left side constantly accusing us? And who answers it? Who's the answer for us? Okay, so that's Romans 3. Then by the time you get to the fourth chapter, right, is it works? Is it by any works whatsoever? It's none. It doesn't have anything to do with works, right? So even when we see Romans 4, 19, 20 and 21, you know, where it says for... for um, for Abraham, and right away it says, and he staggered not through unbelief. But the promise of God, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able, he was able also to what? Perform. Huh? Is he looking to me to perform anything? When I think outside of Christ, okay, and then these thoughts come to me that I have to perform, what happens when I don't? Or what happens when I think I do? My emotions are up. What happens when I think I don't? They're down. Okay, is it my performance? Based upon Job 23, verse 14, he performs the thing that he requires. All he requires is submission to our will. He wants us to obey. Why? So we can experience his love for us. That's hard. <laughs> is obedience hard then? Or... The, or the will rejecting that. Because all we're doing is rejecting the obedient and the obedience of the love of Christ that he's performed on our behalf in 2 Corinthians 10, 5 and 6. It makes it very clear. So again, by the time you get into that, he staggered not. He staggered not at the promise of God. Now, based upon the end of Genesis 16, You see Abraham, it says there, he's 89 years old, right? But then something happens, right? He's he's in his 80s. But then God appears to him, all right? Remember what it says there? Watch this. Did he stagger? I mean, if you and I look at him, did he? Yeah, he did. How did God view him? Where did God view him? and what Christ accomplished for him. That was God's view of him. And and again, thank God, my emotions and your emotions are not the indicator of who we are. Look at 16, verse 16. And Abraham was fourscore and six years old. How old is that? 86, just in case you didn't know. When Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. Okay? How many silent years are there by the time you get to verse 17, verse 1? And when Abraham, Abram was 99 years old. <laughs> How old? How many silent years? That's 13 silent years. Why? I don't know. Did he stagger at the promise of God? When God made him a promise, said Sarah's going to have a He's going to have it. But did he stagger? Do we? How does God view us, though? When we stagger, when we struggle, is that how God sees us? 
how do we see ourselves? When we don't have the thought that Christ is in us. And that thought initiates to the emotions, and the emotions become what? Bad, and that becomes the definition of who I am. But it's not God's view, is it? So 16 and 6, when Abraham was 90 years old, the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, I am. <laughs> I am. What? The Almighty. What? God. Right? Walk before me and be you what? Be you what? Perfect. Complete. Complete. And we're complete in Christ, aren't we? In Colossians 2.10, we're complete in him. And why are we complete? We're complete in his might. Is he almighty? Yes. Is Christ the power of God, the wisdom of God? In 1 Corinthians 1.24, and he is. So, did he stagger in God's view in who he was in Christ? Was that the definition of who he was in God's sight? No. It's not. And it wasn't. That's the fourth chapter. Right? You get into the fifth chapter. By the time you get into the fifth chapter, listen to what it says. This is absolute positional truth, which is really clarified and brought out in the, in the epistle of Ephesians like nowhere else in all the word of God. <clears throat> so by the time you get here, look at 425 of Romans. Okay? Who... Look at 24. But for us also, to whom it will be what? Imputed. What does it mean to be imputed? It's put to our account, right? That's our position. Position has to do with imputation. So if you, you know, we'll get into certain things like the difference between imputation and impartation. Imputation has to do with positional truth. It's ours. But to be imparted, okay, if it's not imparted, right, do we have a proper experience? And we don't. So this is what it's saying here. For us also, to whom it will be imputed, if we what? If we what? Believe on him. Right? Continually. Now, we received him. We were positioned in him. But what about my experience? Do I continually believe him for everything? How about Hebrews eleven six? Without faith, it is what? Impossible to what? To please him. Because he that comes to God, how often should we do that? Must believe that he is. Is he? Well, I don't know. Are my thoughts equal to that? Is he? It doesn't seem it. And my emotions, if they're bad, then what? Well, he can't be based upon what? My emotions? Good or bad? So... Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But you know what? Without, with it, it's impossible not to please him. Do you know that God is pleased every time we depend upon him? Not our thoughts. Seriously. And God forbid that we should sin. But even that is not who we are in Romans 7, 17 and 20. It is no more I that do it. Because the new I is who I am in Christ. So we can even confess that in 1 John 1, 9. And we're not asking for forgiveness. It can come at times in a prayer that way. seems like I do it all the time like that. We're confessing that we already are to him. Okay? So, when it says that in Romans 4, verse 24, but for us, notice that? For us. Is God for us or is he against us? But for us also, to whom it will be imputed. 
whoever would receive him. If we believe on him, did we? You know, in Ephesians 1, verse 1, when it says to those that are in Christ, the faithful in Christ in Ephesians 1, 1, that's not talking about activity. That's talking about position. You're considered faithful because you're in Christ. (laughs) It's really awesome when we can understand it that way. We'll be what? We'll be imputed. We'll be put to your account positionally. Now, how do we experience it? It must be imparted through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Right? So that my experience becomes equal to the truth about my position. Or in other words, my true identity and my true image. So, verse, uh, again, four. That raised up Jesus our Lord from the what? From the dead. Right? Is death extinction? No, it's separation. Okay, who raised up Jesus from being separated. That's why, we're, that's why nothing can separate us. Read Romans 8, 31. Can anything separate us in verse 35 from the love of Christ? No, we're, we may be counted as sheep for the slaughter in 836. But by the way, 837, in him we're more than what? Conquerors. Okay, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. And then you can see all those things, neither height nor depth, any other thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So it starts out in Romans 8 verse 1 with no condemnation. Know what it ends with? No separation. If you can't separate me from Christ, no one can condemn me. Nobody. And there's only one judge. And because God and his government judged Christ on our behalf, there is no judgment for us, and he's no longer a judge. Our approach to him is a father. That's what John 20, verse 17 says. That's what Jesus was saying to Mary at the tomb. I'm going to my father and my God in the unique way that only he is in his deity. But taking us with him to your, God, your father and your God. And so there, that raised up Jesus in Romans 4, verse 24, our Lord from the dead. What does Lord mean? Master. Who was, did he master death? Did he master separation on our behalf? Did he do that? You can see it clearly in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 18. You can see it, especially 12, 13. 14, and especially in verse 15. You can see it. Look at verse 25 of Romans 4. Who was delivered for our what? Offenses. Did you hear that one? Did I hear that? He was delivered for our offenses. How about the offenses of the the believer that might offend us? Oh, no wonder it says in Psalm 119, 165, what kind of peace have they? Great peace. Who is our peace in Ephesians 2, verse 14? Great peace have they that love your word, and nothing will cause them to stumble. Nothing will offend them. Is there any offense in the peace that Christ is in us? What happens when we function outside of him experientially? Based upon a lie, do we get offended? Because the issue is no longer Christ. Guess who it is? It's me separated from him. Am I in my position? Can I be? No. How about my experience? 
who was delivered for our offenses, and listen again, who was raised again for our justification. He was raised again, and we were justified, cleared of all guilt and condemnation. And so was every other Christian. And that's why we don't know anyone after the flesh in 2 Corinthians 5.16. Because all things are new in him. Behold, all things are new in him. All things are passed away. They're not in the process of passing away. They are past tense, present active participle. They are passed away positionally, and we're experientially experiencing it. That's past tense position, present active position right now. Participle. Beautiful. Second Corinthians 5.17 who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our what? Justification. You, if you ask someone, you could say to them, are you a believer or are you a Christian? You know what you could just say to them just as well? Are you guiltless? Hey, he's been listening. Are you guiltless? Are you? Is there any guilt in your thought? Because if there is, what are your emotions going to be? That's what we're confessing, that we're not that in God's sight. Again, that goes into Job 36, verse 7. He never removes his eye from the righteous, because who is, who is the source means of our righteousness? In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, it's Christ. Our justification. Now we have 5.1 of Romans. Therefore... What's therefore based upon what we just read? Go back to 3, chapter 3, chapter 4. Now we're therefore, listen, therefore being what? Guilt-free with no condemnation by absolute dependence. We have, we have it right now. Is that position? Do we have it in our experience? We have what? Peace with God. Okay, who is God's peace? Who settled peace? with God concerning you and me? Christ. I don't know, where is he resting? Do we have another place of rest? We don't. None of us do. We have peace with God, listen, through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of things that I've been saying, and when it comes to like, uh, writing these books and booklets and doing all these different things, <laughs> and God gives all the plethora of all the things, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm in an ocean, and, I'm, and I keep saying, I can't, I can't, God. I'm very being very honest, I can't. And he keeps telling me, no, but Philippians 4.13, I can do all things, what? Through Christ, which makes me very powerful and mighty. That's what it says. I can't, I can't do this. I can't, God. No, no, you can you can't. You can't based upon your emotions and your lying experience. But you can because you're already in Christ who is your strength. It's as simple as that. Right? Therefore, being justified by faith, by faith dependence, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom, could really be really through whom, right? By and through. Also, we have access by what? faith. Now, what is access here speaking of? We have it positionally, but how do we have the access in our experience? Through submitting our will to him, submitting to him, 
Do you ever notice how soon, sometimes it takes all, some of us really long to finally submit, but boy, when we do, what peace we have and rest. Not until then. We have access. He's the access. He's the door. By faith, dependence into what? This grace. What is this grace? That's his person and the accomplishment of his work. Because do I have grace in me apart from him? No, he was the one that was filled up with all that grace and truth is in John 1 and verse 14. And in Ephesians 2, 8, was saved by grace and kept by it in 1 Peter 1, 5. And even the faith that God gives us to depend on him is that even of ourselves. No, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should what? Boast. That's legalism. There's another whole crowd on that side. Ugh. And I, I don't say it judgmentally. I say it, gosh, just oof, prayerfully, lest myself could get there in a heartbeat. Okay, by whom we also have access by faith into this grace wherein we what? Stand. Stand. We are standing perfect in our position in Christ. Can I fall from that position? No, because who got me there? Was it my strength or was it everything that he did? Does he have all power? Matthew 28, 18. Does he have all power? He's got all power, right? He who is all power has it, right? So we stand. But do we fall in our experience? Do we? Yeah. Is it who we are? What would cause us to think that we fall? What would cause that? Are the thoughts wrong? And then the emotions that can only respond to the initiation of those thoughts, if they become bad, is that who we are? <laughs> it's not who we are, right? <laughs> Wherein we stand. stand. Is Christ immovable right now, seated at the right hand of the Father? Are we in him, positionally? What's my experience? That's what we're going into. And rejoice in hope. Is that like the English word, geez, I hope so, or is that like guaranteed because he's already done it? In hope of the glory of God. In hope here speaks of Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If Christ is in me, is that settled, sealed? Is it a guarantee? Can God lie? Numbers 23, 19, Titus 1, 2, and Hebrews 6, 18. Can God lie? No. But can I in my experience? In Romans 3, verse 4, let God be true and every man outside of Christ, what? A liar based upon who? Father of all lies. He can't touch the position, but he goes after the experience. The position's untouchable. Even if I sin, it doesn't affect my relationship with God, but it does affect my experiential fellowship. It does. And he's the father of all lies. He's a murderer from the beginning and there's no truth in him. No truth in him in John 8, verse 44. So, we rejoice in hope. That's because we're in Christ and he's in us. Of the glory of God, right? And not only so, but we also glory in what? Oh. <laughs> Do we? Is God revealing his glory in and through us with the tribulations that we go through? That's what it says. But whose glory does it have to do with? I don't know. Is everything about my life me and what I can get from God? Or does it have something to do with him? 
Glory in tribulations also. What? Knowing. Knowing. You mean just declarative perception knowledge? Experiential. Knowing that tribulation works what? That's what he's teaching us here right now. Patience. 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 We need to grow. Seriously. We need to grow, and that's what I believe. We need to grow here. But that's what we need to do, because that's what God's doing. We do. We need to grow. We need to be patient. Right? And rest in Him. And do I have patience if I'm not resting in Him? Do I? And when my thoughts aren't right, and my emotions aren't right, am I going to try to do everything I can if I function outside of Christ to escape? Yes, something has to change. Hmm. No. mm -mm. Nothing has to change. Honestly, it doesn't. And tribulation works patience. and And patience, here's the key. What? Experience. That's key. That's growing in grace and knowledge in 2 Peter 3.18. And patience, what? Experience. And experience, what? A settled hope. Assurance. And hope makes what? Not what? Ashamed. There's no shame. There's no shame. Should there be any shame in us? Is he ashamed to call us brethren in Hebrews 2.11? No, because how does he see us? In himself. Is there any shame in him? Oh boy. Listen. That's why we said in Christ Jesus, that's the definition of all Christians, every one of us. And it defines them, you and I, as people identified with the one as, as a man who's entered into the very presence of God. He's the only one that could do that. He's the only one that could come out, and he's the only one that could bring us back in to the presence. That's not just positionally, folks. Okay, it is true, but it's experiential. It is. Right? Why? How did he do that? Because in Romans 6.10, now we're going to get in, we have the much more chapter of Romans the fifth chapter, the much mores. Right? So in Romans, listen, in, in Romans 5, he's the much more. And is he in us and we in him? How much more do you need? <laughs> what much more do you want? I don't know. Right? So he's the much more, and he's in us, and we're in him. And he's, he's better. The whole theme of Hebrews, the whole theme of Hebrews is better. We're better in him. We're not better off than, we're not any better than anybody, but we certainly are better off in him. But do I, am I in my position? Am I? Is that unchangeable, immutable? Can't put anything to it, can't take it away? Yeah. What's the experience? Because if I have a proper experience, what am I functioning in? Truth. But if I don't, what am I functioning in in my experience? What? A lie. Something defining me, how short I am from God based upon my own thoughts or someone else's or legalistic nonsense, evil teaching, right? Because legalism is what? It's sin, and sin is what? It's evil. So, he died in Romans 6.10, for in that he died, he died unto sin. How many times? Once. Now, before you get to 6.10 of Romans, you're in 6.9. He that dies once, what? Dies what? He's not going to die anymore. 
He that has died physically. So that's referring to when Paul, through the Holy Spirit, he's referring to Genesis 2, verse 17. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil apart from Christ, what are you going to do? You're going to call good, evil, evil, good, and that's based on Isaiah 5, verse 20. And you're going to define and determine everything about yourself. And then when we do that, what do we start doing? We start making our own what? Plants. Plants. Right? So Genesis 2.17, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? he says, if you do that, the Hebrew literally says, in certain translations, you will die. Really, what it's saying is, spiritually dying, separated from Christ, you'll physically die. That's why we all physically die, because we were separated at one point. But is that who we are in Christ right now, who is our life? No. No. And so, it, can we experience death in our experience? Can we? And what is that? And when I'm separated from him and I don't have his thoughts, do I have his will and his plans? I just don't. And they can be the most well-intentioned thing from even those that we love the most and they mean a lot to us. But we need to be guided by God. He needs to make that crystal clear. And I know this for a fact. For us here, we need patience because he's not done yet. Doing in us, in our experience, what is in our position. And by the way, also, <laughs> there's a lot of others here too, aren't there? There are, and I thought of them last night, late, and this morning. I went, oh my God, so many. And then I thought too, where do you suppose, who do you suppose is the university for the angels? It's you and I in 1 Peter 1.12. You see, our life is so much more than just about ourselves. It is. First and foremost, it's about God. It's about God, and it's about his glory. First and foremost, everything's about his glory. Does that have to do with me apart from him? It doesn't. And it has to do with myself in Christ, and then it, in Christ, and then it has to do with who? Others. You know, I'll tell you, we do our best, right? Right where we are when we think of who? Others. You surrounded by others right here? That's why you're here. That's one of the reasons. It is. And he will use those others to even complement the work that he desires to do in your experience, which is based upon what he's finished in you and your position in Christ. There's no question about that. So in Christ, there's a language of what? Complete identification with Christ. Were we crucified with him on the cross by faith? Were we? Well, Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Right? Nevertheless, I live. Listen to what it says. Yet not I. <laughs> Nevertheless, I live. I experience. I'm, I'm, I'm alive. Yet not I. But Christ lives in me. Right? And the life that I now live in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who what? Loved me, and as a result, gave himself for me. 2.20. I do not frustrate the grace of God. You frustrated with something? There's no grace. I do not frustrate the grace of God. Right? For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ died for nothing. He died in vain. But he didn't. Boy, that's wrong. He didn't. 
Again, Colossians 3. Let me read these verses. And should this be applicable to us right here, right now? Listen to what it says in Colossians chapter 3. Hey, watch out, will you? Colossians chapter 3, look at what it says. Verse 1, if you then be risen with Christ, are we risen with Christ? So if here is a first class fulfilled condition, if and you are, so since. Since then, you are risen with Christ, what? Seek those things which what? Are what? Above, where Christ sits on what? The right hand. He's the measure of all the Father's satisfaction, approval, and power towards us. That's right hand, right? Set your affection, emotions? No, mind. Set your mind on things what? Above. Listen to this. Not on things of the, where are we right now? Where are we right Are we on the earth? <laughs> where should our mind be? Things above. Things above. I don't know. Can anyone else do that for you? Do you want someone else to do that for you? Do you want someone else to replace Christ in you? Can you? It, yes. You can't do that. I can't do it. Right? Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For, in the King James says, for you are dead. The Greek makes it clear. You died. Right? You died. Galatians 2.20. Right? You died. Right? When you're crucified, what's that mean? You dead. You are dead. Right? So you, are, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, our life, will appear, then will you also appear with him in glory. But while we're on the earth, what are we to do? Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Boy, you know, before sin becomes an outward occupation, is it a thought? And when I sin experientially, what am I experientially? Where am I living? In death, separation from him. Right? Separated from him. That's where we are. Is it who we are, though? We may be there in our experience, but is it who we are? Nope. Because you know who we are? We are untouchable in our position in him. That's 1 John 5, 18. The wicked one touches us not. I mean, he could do, God allowed him to do whatever needed, whatever God needed to, to use the devil to do in Job's life. But he couldn't touch his faith dependence on Christ because it wasn't based upon himself. It was a gift that God gave him to operate in his free volition. And that's how God see him, saw him. And that's why even in Job 36, verse 7, in that Job, he never removes his eye for the righteous. Now, Job thought he was functioning in his own righteousness in Job 32, 1 and 2. But was it? Nope. Wasn't, right? So, here it is. What is this? We're crucified with him. What is the proof? What is the divine declaration of God of our acceptance in Christ? Are we accepted already? That's position, Ephesians 1, 6. Has God accepted us in Christ? Is he completely satisfied and resting? What's my experience? Is it the equal of my position in him? Is it? Well, what is the proof of it? His resurrection. Do you and I even think that God would declare our acceptance to be 
in Christ based upon who he is in his work and the place that he's brought us to. And it's his eye that ever sees us, him, in him. And listen, his eye sees you and I individually in him, in Christ, who? Alone. Did you hear that one? Man, if you can't make it alone with Christ, you ain't making it with anybody. Not a single soul. Because they didn't do it for you. You may have fellowship and you may be encouraged, but they didn't do it for you. So, God would have us to stop thinking we must rely on them. We must rely on who? Christ who? Alone in the individual. Christ alone. So we are, we are reckoned, aren't we? We are reckoned. Legizomai, we're, and it's an accountant's term. We are reckoned. God has reckoned us perfect, complete in Christ. And you and I are to reckon ourselves. Where would we do that? He reckoned us in our position, something he did. And it was by grace, wasn't it? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Did we deserve it? No. Could we merit it? No. He reckoned us in his son. Will he give me grace to reckon on it in my position and agree with him? Will he do that? Who does he give grace to? Humble. They don't make anything to hire themselves. That's James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, verse 6. They don't make themselves too high or too low. Listen to me. In humility, they don't make someone else higher or lower than Christ in them, period. They don't do that. We don't. So we reckon ourselves. Will he give me grace? So grace is always... In our position, it's always in the passive voice. God is speaking to us with the voice. The voice says, listen, you didn't earn this. I did it because I love you and based upon my son who I gave you. You're positioned in him. That's passive. That's position. Now what's my experience? Will he give me grace in my experience? Yeah, that's middle voice. Now I start participating in the true action of God's love through grace in my experience, and I start growing in it in 2 Peter 3, verse 18. God's teaching us standing and state, position and experience, reality, truth, or lie. He's making it very, very clear to us in the scriptures. So we got, has God reckoned us positionally? Do we reckon ourselves experientially as with him? Dead? Are we dead from the old with him? Dead? Are we? 
buried. Yeah, I went into these on the post, by the way, and gave a plethora of scriptures. <laughs> it's a plethora of evidence of the reality of God's full thought about us in Christ. Okay? Dead with him, buried with him, enlivened with him, risen with him, and in him seated in the heavenlies right before God the Father. His delight in you and I, and that's why it says in Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Well, who's the Lord? Isn't that Christ? What does Lord mean? One who's in control. If he's in control of my thoughts and my emotions, what do I experience? Delight. Delight yourself in the Lord. Result, he will give you proper desires. The proper desires of your mind and your emotions, your heart. Then you're able to continually, in 37 verse 5, roll your way constantly upon him. You can keep trusting him for everything. And not let anything interfere with his intimacy. And the fact of the love life that's yours in Christ in your experience. So, but would he? His delight is in us, and the delight that's in us is his what? Unchangeable delight. Did you know that? Why? Because his unchangeable delight is in his beloved son. And where do you suppose we are in Ephesians 1.6? We're accepted in what? His beloved Therefore, the Lord Jesus says to you and I, what does he say? Because I live, because I'm life, you will also live. Now that's positionally. Do we have eternal life positionally? Can that be changed? What about experientially? What would change it? Wouldn't it be wrong thoughts? Wouldn't it be wrong emotions? Wouldn't it be that even I might want to live on someone else's thoughts and emotions? Someone may desire me. Someone may miss me. Should I live on that? Is that my life? Is it? Oh, Christ is your life. And boy, if we don't have that straight here, and that's going to be patience. It is. We're growing, right? We're growing. We're growing. Come on. God's planting seeds in us, isn't he? Right? But what does the seed have to do first? Go into the ground and what? That's experiential truth about death. Okay? And then what does he do? Guy that's going to plant the grass, a seed, right? It's dead, but in that seed, what is involved in that? Life. Where does God meet us? Where's the only place he can meet us and experience life? Is in death, the death that we're, it's no longer us. So he plants the seed, and then, then what does he do? He waters it. Next time you plant a seed, right? You plant a seed, right? Bury it, fertilize it, water it, stand over it, and expect it to pop right up. Not going to happen. You know what it takes? The patience of God. The patience of God. That's right. And what are we all? What are we doing here? We're growing up in Him. We're growing up in Him. Jesus said to him, because I live, you will live also. If this is a reality, is it? Is this, is this God's reality? Is God's reality towards you and I, Christ? What's my reality? 
What is it? Could there be a doubt then? Could there be a single doubt about our perfect security if this was experienced? Could there be any doubt? You doubting something? You doubting God won't come through here? <laughs> so maybe you got to change? <laughs> Romans 14, 22 says this. Listen to this. This is really, this is to the man in Christ, the woman in Christ. Happy is the man that condemns not himself. Why? Because God didn't. He condemned Christ once. Christ died once. That's what Romans 6, 9 is saying. He that dies once dies no more. And, and, and never dies again. We died in him once. We rose in him too. You see that in Acts 17, 31 and Romans 8, verse 11. That's what we see clearly here. Listen, our emotions are not the determination of who we are. And we may be loved by others, but that's not our determination. Seriously. And we're going to close it with this. But how could there be a doubt? Romans 14, 22 says, Happy is the man that, that condemns not himself in the thing that he allows. Verse 23 says, And he that doubts is what? When you doubt, what are you damned? Right? Is there any hope there? Come on, is there? No. Is that who we are in Christ? I thought he was damned once. And not even in that sense either, by the way. And he that doubts is damned if he eat, because he feed, he's feeding not on what? Faith, dependence on God and his word, his presence. Now, whatsoever is not of faith, absolute dependence upon God is what? Sin. And what is sin? Psalm 51 verse 4, it's evil. What are my emotions indicating to me? My emotions are the indicator of the content of the initiation of what my thoughts are through my mind. There's no question about it. So is there any doubt in our absolute position in Christ? Is there security? Well, who's our security? It's Christ. If that's experienced, then would doubt be impossible? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Can God change? Will he change? Malachi 3.6, I'm the Lord, your God, I change not. Right? Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ the same. You're yesterday, mine. You're today, right now. And you're forever, unto the ages of ages. It's Hebrews 13.8. James 1.17, every good gift and every complete gift comes down from the Father of lights. Who came down? Christ, who did he come down for? Every good gift and every complete gift comes down from the Father of what? Lights, revelations. Of whom there's no variableness. He doesn't change. Neither shadow of turning. Never, right? And what is death to the believer? Ecclesiastes 7.1. <laughs> Better is one's death than the day of one's birth in Christ. Not if you're not born again, right? So awesome, right? So as we wrap this up this morning, it would be impossible. Can God change? Does he change? Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should what? What do men do? What do we do in our experience when Christ is not my full thought? We lie and we change our mind. I change my mind. If we change our mind, is it based, what is it based upon? Our own thoughts. I mean, are they ours or where'd they come from? Right? 
God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should ever change his mind. Has he not said the word? Will he not do it? Has he not spoken? And will he bring it to pass? Right? He will bring it to pass. And when he does, there will not be an ounce of confusion. It will be the most perfect, settled peace and rest. <laughs> right? And that comes from sitting at Jesus' feet and not getting up too quickly. That's Luke 10, 38 to 42. Right? And finally this. And this is what I, uh, I believe that God would have us to close with because I wrote it down. I did, wrote it right down. I can tell it's my writing. I can tell, I can tell you even which pen I used. Emotions are not the proof that God is against you and I. Because God is for us. Bad emotions, or even good emotions, are not the proof that God is for me. Good emotion, emotions are not the proof that God is for me. And this is key. They are the result of who Christ is in me. Boy, that's huge. It's not what we do. It's who we are in him. Amen? So, Father, thank you this morning. We thank you and praise you for the reality and truth about who you are in us right now, right where we are, Father. And thank you for the perfect peace that we have. And if we don't have the peace that's ours, based upon who we are in Christ, then, Father, I pray for, our, for that peace to come into our experience, and it won't until we submit to him, submit our will, and rest in him, all of us. Father, thank you that the place that you're resting is in Christ, and that's our place, our proper place and our proper image. In Jesus' name, amen.